From Buenos Aires, Argentina, I'm Paige Nichols, and this is Bad Information, a love letter to the country that drives us mad, mad, mad.com slash edu. And today we have an expert with us. He says he's an expert. I think he's an expert to talk about one of my favorite topics. I bet you can't guess what it is. Starts with a G. It's not about gay. <laughs> it could be. Gentrification. Hello, Facundo. Hello. Would you like to introduce yourself to the class? Maybe so. Maybe so, Facundo. 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 Um, I'm Facundo Silvera. Um, I'm 32 years old. Uh, I'm an economist and I did um, my master's degree in urban economics. Oh, and you're a Scorpio, right? I'm a double Scorpio. Double Squirps, double double economist. Wow. Isn't that like a Bopper's brand, double Scorpio? It is. It is actually. You're welcome. I should have asked you to bring that back from the U.S. <laughs> economist. You've got to be a bit crazy to want to study economy in Argentina. I was fucking crazy. Uh, I, well, funny thing, my first steps into the working girl. Mm. I worked two years for a macroeconomic firm uh, doing macroeconomic analysis. And after that, I came to the realization that doing macroeconomics in Argentina is like being an oncologist. There is always bad news here. Always bad news. When you say macroeconomics, I think macaroni economics, and I think it makes me hungry. <laughs> or I think macrame, and I think of crafts. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit just so you know how that. my brain works everybody <laughs> <laughs> so now what are you doing do you have your thesis i don't <gasps> uh kids that are listening stay at school finish your master thesis please not like me don't do drugs or do but also do your thesis exactly <laughs> um but no i still own my thesis my master's thesis uh but i do work for a bank so that's my day job are you the enemy maybe so. <gasps> I work How many? for the devil, actually. Ooh. Well, that's very Scorpio of you. <laughs> I mean, like, what else do we expect? I mean, come on. But you're from Misiones. I am from Misiones. I'm a little jungle baby. I am, semi-tropical bitch. Uh, I was born in Posadas, and I lived for six years in Paraguay, actually. And I'm half Paraguayan because uh, part of my family is. That's so, so cool. It is. We're multicultural here. And we're federales. Es un podcast federal. Que consten actas, even though every information that I have here is all about Buenos Aires. I'm sorry. I'm trying. But that's why you're here, because you're my expert. Expert. <laughs> Sexpert. Um, Facundo, we're going to talk about gentrification, which I already said. But, like, we're going to get – because, you know what? Here's the thing. You've been in Buenos Aires for, what, 13 years? 13 years. Right. And I've been here 15, so basically the same. Although I do like to say I, I arrived here before Starbucks was like a thing, which is kind of, I feel like a nice benchmark. But we've seen the city change for better or for worse um, over the years. I think especially the last like few years, it's really accelerated. And, you know, we live in a globalized world. So what's happening in Mexico or across Europe or in the U.S. obviously affects us. And we have friends who are from all over. You know, some of your closest friends are... I hate the word expats. It's just like easier than saying like immigrants. I don't know. How how do you feel about that? Well, it's exactly how you feel. Well, it, it depends on your tone of your skin. You're an immigrant or you're an expat. How yeah. How do you treat that? I know. It's like, I'm I'm an immigrant. Like I came here with literally like nada. 
nothing but my privilege, my white girl privilege. And here I am. But I, it's like, the, it's like, it's just easier to be like the expats. But to think about, you know, we have friends who've maybe left or gone somewhere else or go home for the summer and they see things happening. And then we hear about these trends. So gentrification is obviously not new, but I think the past few years, it's really ramped up in Buenos Aires and around Argentina. Like it's, it's spreading because usually, yeah, things start in Buenos Aires and then it's like, um, and I don't know, like, I don't know, like, how do you, like, how do you feel about the concept of gentrification? Well, <clears throat> for a start, it started in the 60s. Okay. So it was written by, or the concept came by Ruth Glass in 1964 on her book, London. And she was actually describing the process of um, the city centers being revamped mm -hmm. um, as, a, as, a, as an opposition of what the city were growing at the time that were like suburbization of the cities where yeah. like all, all the people were going to the suburbs. But then suddenly in the 60s, people start coming back to the, um, to the city, to the city like center, downtown. downtown. But what happened like an, in the, we're talking about London in the 60s. So the city centers was full of marginalized people mm -hmm. that all these white collar workers came and displaced them mm -hmm. or the basically driven by real estate. Yeah. So that's how the, uh, the concept came and it's widely used for the same process in the cities for the developed world and the developing world. Right. But the forces that drive, that drive these are quite different. So yeah. it's a white concept, but it has some yeah. differences between a developing world versus the developed. Yeah. I think, yeah. When I think of like, my own hometown, Washington, D.C., where you were just there. I was. Vomiting on the embassies. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about pro pride is a protest. Um, no, but thinking of where I grew up and the places that I used to go when I was young, like I think of, you know, D.C. now. I mean, it's so, yeah, it's so different. And it, it is, it's so, I didn't think you could gentrify it even more. But I think of the places that I would go in high school that was like, you know, rough around the edges and my parents would be like worried about me going there by myself at night and driving and whatever. And then now it's like 14th street, which is like, it used to be the center of kind of 14th and you was like, you know, a lot of go-go clubs and all these concert venues. And, but it was like public housing. And now there's like a West Elm and like a Trader Joe's, you know? And when I think of our, my perspective of how I view gentrification, yeah, it's this, it's, it's very, United States based just because that's where I'm from and that's where I spent most of my time, I think. But I'm interested to see like how with Argentina and the lens of, again, my own experience, because it's all about me. Um, no, JK, it's not. But we always start with, you know, what we know and what's familiar to us. But then seeing how it plays out in a, in a country like Argentina and in a different time in 2020s, um, and different drivers, like economic factors, and and this again, this global, this globalization that maybe twenty years ago wasn't as prevalent, you know, with the whole thing about remote workers or digital nomads and all these other layers. It's like just a lot of layers. I think that you can maybe move around and in different measure. I mean, you're again, please enlighten me because I feel like I'm just making shit up. But um, yeah, how would you maybe compare a, the the concept and how it also is? experienced in Argentina versus a country in the like more developed world? Well, basically in the developed world is all about the real estate developers that are taking advantage of cheap land, basically, to 
develop the area and get the, I mean, the difference between what they buy the land or versus what they sell. Yeah. And they displace these communities. Uh, and um, white collar workers displace blue collar workers, basically. But in the develop in the developing countries, the forces are different. It's not only or just the private market or the real estate developer. There is a part of it that also comes with the city governments where they try to revamp, um, mm. how do you say, zonas retardadas or like... Not the R word, <laughs> Marcos. Yeah, but like, or I don't know, do you mean just like... Degraded zones. There's like neighborhoods that are like, not like, yeah, not so great neighborhoods. Not so great neighborhoods. So basically the city see the, the opportunity that's Perhaps some areas of the city need some uh, refurbishing. A judge. Yes. And they 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 do that. But it, at, the, at the time, it creates the opportunity for the real estate developer. So it's just like a combination of things. Yeah. Because the public sector has uh, a big part of it. Because it, it, it brings public funds to um, improve an area that was mm. degraded and is uh, basically... Habitada by mm. marginalized people, right? But in in the process of that, it it displaced them, right? Like and it's sort it, of like the like they're doing this with, let's say, good intentions, but then eventually the end product is always the people who are living there are going to be pushed out because it's. I mean, I think that Buenos Aires is a perfect example for that. And you think of the, you know, everyone's favorite billboards we're seeing, La Transformación no para. But I, and but someone who for as someone who's you know been here for over a little over a decade and thinking of what the city used to look like when I arrived and now yeah it's very easy or at least you know 15 years ago I think it was very easy to be seduced by this wow they're coming in and there are parts of the city that are like you know rough around the edges and need 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 to be judged and need maybe you know the plazas looking better or like you know repaving the streets or things that are innocent enough. Right, and you think are in post de mejorar la vida. It's the city, city's government job, you will say, to do the things that were not done in the past. Yeah, but I can, as you say, talking about me, I need to ke uh, came out of the closet as a gentrifier myself because I, as well, you say, we're I, queer, we're gentrifiers. Exactly. Um, I live in San Telmo for 13 years, and when I move, I move to like um. It's a, it was an old building that was refurbished, so someone was displaced when mm -hmm. when when that was in. They were doing the space right, but I can see it as well during the, these thirteen years. How San Telmo maybe ten years ago was like a dark zone, yeah, a lot of trash, a lot of casas tomadas, and last year they redid the neighborhood, and I think like the gentrification is gonna come stronger this time. Yeah. But I even before that, you can see like the change in the neighborhood from ten years ago mm -hmm. from now. How yeah. um, a, a lot of there were foreigners, but uh, they're always like time. artists, like kind of like bohemian. Maybe it was kind of like the foreigners. I feel like who were living in San Telmo were like. Like they're like a tribu urbana. Like it was like you know the 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 expats, you know, in many quotes, living in San Telmo versus the ones in Palermo versus the one in Recoleta. And yeah, but it's it's become very like Disneyfied. Exactly. I, but how I can say that as someone who lived for three months in San Telmo, oh. I'm an expert. Oh my god, it's <laughs> you're across to bear. But I still find it like uh, I still call it like a barrio 
picante. It's still fringy. I was. I think yeah. Santelmo still has its fringe, and I hope it never loses that because I think that's what what makes, makes it. Santelmo, well, Santelmo, that's yeah. that's the thing. It's like this this it's this balance of or not even a balance, but the, it's like you want to fix up a neighborhood enough yeah. where it's like, you know, safe for people who live there, whoever they are. But you don't want to like, I mean, everything is like becoming sanitized. And so everything looks the same, like, you know, around the world, cities start to resemble each other because they yeah. all have the same cafecitos and the same aesthetic and the blah, blah, blah. And like, what's so cool about Santelmo is a perfect example because yeah, like 15 years ago, it was like, rough i mean you have the market you have the antique stores you have the very touristy spots but it was kind of like if you're going to live in san telmo it was like bold i mean it wasn't maybe like constitucion but it i don't know i never would i always liked visiting but i never and i would fantasize about living in like a beautiful old antique like patch or something but but never maybe really moving there and now with the market where they've done this whole like revamp of the market which kind of makes me bummed because it's like all of the old puestos that used to be there, like all of them are gone, but it's, but it's full of people and maybe they're bringing money into the area. So you think like, but it's sort of like, you know, do the ends justify the means? But who can pay for that shit? Because Brazilians. I, I, right. Because uh, when I was living there for three months, um, this is Margos's <laughs> podcast now. <laughs> I do remember like going to this old antique cameras um, spot in the Mercado and it's not there anymore. And it was re replaced by, by a candle store. I was Ugh. like, why? Not why candles. would you do that? Yeah, yeah. So I think like it's, well, it's losing, it's, 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 like, losing. its charm. I, I would say that gentrification is not only people that is living there; it's also people that is working there. Yeah. How do you how do you treat like let's say the antiquarios, the uh, the antique store that were there, and now they need to compete with let's say uh, la feria de los domingos, mm -hmm. or they need to compete with the um, for the rent against like the Habana. dulce de leche puesto with the tourists. So gentrification also is not only living people, it's also working people. Totally. But I think, I mean, it's, and it's very, I'm very interested too in the intersectionality of in, of gentrification. And I think bringing up the sense of like, we, we are, I mean, I'm aware of my own role in this, but I also am, um, and thinking about, and I have, I was reading a bit about this, about just the queers and how we're victimas y victimarios, but also like, how, how do you know when your neighborhood's about to be gentrified? Right. And it's like, cause if you're looking at populations that are maybe the first, the first wave coming into a place and, um, we're sort of known for that, right? Like going into neighborhoods that no one else wants to go into, but then of course, bougieing it up and being whatever. Um, and then also being totally aware of the marginalized people that are living in these areas, whether they're people of color or working class, or there's a million factors there. And then where do they go? Um, so it's like, we, we're kind of on both sides of that spectrum in a way, right? But we benefit, of course, from a lot of class privilege and things like that. But um, I don't know, it's, it's it's just like a, it's a sad thing because I, I I've been here long enough and I think that I've made uh, Argentinice lo suficiente como like to 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 really not like what I'm seeing now because I do get kind of offended with this like new like the new generation we're seeing of you know post pandemic digital nomads, people living all over the world, everyone looking for like, where's the cheapest place I can live, but I can like still get a flat white. Like, I feel like that's, and and I think that this, I know that that's just, that's just one sort of part of this whole issue, but it's so hard to watch because you're watching your own neighborhood or your, your favorite parts of the city 
just sort of fade away. I mean, it's like every day you're seeing a new obra construcción, you know, these beautiful old like peaches or whatever with the sign on them, like, you know, inventa, bloque, invent, and it's just sort of like, why aren't, why aren't we ups more upset about this? And I think everyone does feel this sort of collective sense of like indignación and maybe just pain. And we're like sad because again, what makes Buenos Aires, Buenos Aires are all these things that we're slowly taking away. So it's like, when does it stop? It never stops. The city is always changing. You cannot, you cannot um, expect for the city to remain the same. There are exceptions, right. of course, but the city, it's, um, it's a living, it's a, a living, living thing. thing. At the end of the day, like you said, in the developing, in the developed world, this comes back to real estate and, you know, and that's what moves it. I mean, it's, it's all about money and I mean, it's all about where the money's going, who's getting the money. And I think what's, what people see in their day to day, you know, I would say most of us lack a working knowledge of all this, not necessarily behind the scenes, but the policies behind it are like also like what's happening, you know, sort of in, in the shadows, because of course, you know, people have to say like Larreta, who's the you know current mayor of Buenos Aires, you know, getting like he's getting commission on all these real estate deals. Right. So it's like maybe it's in his best interest, um, you know, to be. Get, making all these torres sin parar, you know, or whatever. And like, who cares about the patrimonio histórico and whatever. But then it's just, I think there's so much information that we don't have in terms of like uh, how it also impacts other parts of our lives. But of course it's easy for us and it, it's more natural to focus on the more immediate and the more negative. So like, you know, that's how I feel in the sense of like every day I walk by, I'm just like, I, like there's less sky, you know, it's like there's less sky, everything like that's getting darker. There's just torre after torre and all these like cheap little apartments that are made with like crappy materials and they're all monambiente. It's also that too. Like, I mean, I live by myself, so, well, pocho, but like, um, but, I, the, <laughs> but the family composition has changed since the last 20 years. Like uh, most of the people live by themselves. So monambiente for the real estate market is the makes bigger, sense. It makes the most sense. Do we all want to live in Monamientes? We definitely also don't. Also, it's like inhumane. I mean, like, look at the, you look even at like Hong Kong and you see, you know, these like little tiny shoe boxes. I think at least here we have like, even a Monamiente has a balcon. Like you go to New York, like you were just there. One of the things that Lareta did when the new construction code, they did that the bidet is no longer mandatory. We don't like that. Dirty butts in Buenos Aires. This is a public health emergency. But for for real, because it's like they're like, that's like un metro cuadrado que podemos ahorrar. And that's I feel like, you know, it's funny because I met some guy or I was talking to some guy, I don't, some man, forgettable man. But he was saying, you know, I, I have a wife and we have two kids and we like no somos propietarios. Like we don't own our own home and we want to live in Capital. But we don't. First of all, there's like no batches because it's very hard to find a house here. You know, there's not a lot of availability in the neighborhoods, you know, in the in even a broad range of neighborhoods. So we're looking for an apartment and it's like impossible to find an apartment because, and then, but then you go downtown, you go to Retiro Recoleta and you have these massive, you know, pisos of like 600 square meters with like four bedrooms, tres dependencias, blah, blah, blah. And like, first of all, most of them are for sale. They aren't for rent. And so who's going to be able to afford a $1.2 million apartment? It's like, there's just this kind of crisis. This economy? In this economy, girl. That's a big mattress if you got to get $1.2 million underneath it or inside it. So it's like, yeah, even though the majority of people are living by themselves, so for these developers, they think, okay, mon ambiente. And of course now too with Airbnb. I mean, I think Airbnb, I mean, when you think of in the current context of, again, like post-pandemic world, people are working remotely, 
uh, even kids can do like online homeschool. You don't have to maybe live in the country where you were born. Um, and then you have companies like Airbnb that started off as like, oh, I'll just live in, I'll stay in this person's spare bedroom for the weekend. Now it's like renting out an entire apartment, you know, for one to three months or something. And it seems like, you know, I mean, the available market of, of apartments is like cada vez menos, right? Because it's like most owners, especially in Argentina, where we have a very chaotic economy and unstable economy, would rather put that place on Airbnb and guarantee an income in dollars, even if it's like sporadic, than like rent it out to a local for three years, right? Uh, yeah, but um, taking the economic situation of Argentina out of the equation, <gasps> this is happening all over the world. Yes. It's not a Buenos Aires problem. It's not just about us. It's not about us. Look about Mexico. Mexico City is like, but that that's like... Doesn't it kind of, does it break your heart a little bit? Because like, I feel, I mean, as a gringa, I get like cringe when I see people that I know being like, oh my God, we're in Mexico and we're in Roma or Condesa. And they're just like, rents are so cheap. And I'm like, well, rents are cheap for you relative to New York. But everyone who was living here before you arrived has now paying 120% more. Um, I want to blame Instagram and TikTok because Everyone in the developed world who can afford it wants to have that experience and go to cheaper places. And, and they want to have the experience that, is, that are seen online. Yeah, they're just chasing that aesthetic. I mean, I think, and I and that's why I love chatting about this here with people. It's like this neo-colonialist. I mean, it's like the the typical white American person who is like zero self-awareness and being like, oh my God, we're just like having the best time. Like, it's just so cool. And everyone's like, so it's so colorful here. It's so cheap. It's so cheap. It's so cheap. I'm like, I had like my blood boil. I mean, for I have so many like basic white girls, sorry, that I either like know or peripherally know who are just like in their hats and they're like flowy dress. And it's kind of like, I want to be like, you're a you are the problem. Like, it's me. Hi, you're the problem. It's you. Um, do, and personally, I can't, you know, no one, I don't know. I just think that like, there comes a point in the world where maybe in 1964, when we first started talking about this, we could like fingir demencia. But now you cannot be unaware of the impact you have on the lives of the people around you. And we have so much access to information. And if you are coming from a developed, a developed country, supposedly with good education and expensive education, yeah, so there's this guy. I don't know if you saw it. I feel like because he was on my fucking for you page everywhere. This American guy, total just like, ugh. and sorry, I have like very low tolerance for this. I, I, it's just it's annoying. He, it's like traveling all over the world or Latin America, of course. And he's very like, whoa, oh my god, like I'm here in Buenos Aires, and it's like cool, bro. Like on the one hand, I'm like, great, you're like kind of naively supportive of all this amazing. But he went to the Hospital Fernandez, which is like the largest or like the best funded public hospital in Buenos Aires. I think he had to get like a tetanus shot or something. he did to get some stuff done. And he was like, I'm at a public hospital and it's all free. In my country, this would cost like $3,000. Like, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. And the comments were like, you know, bro, it's, it's not, not free. It's not free. Like someone's paying for this and this is paid for by taxes, uh, paid, you know, like local taxpayers. But but the, the ethics of, you know, Ar Argentina has universal healthcare, universal education, and those are really important institutions. But I can't, and people ask me, they're like, you know, do you, 
do you use a public system? I'm like, no, because I can afford to pay for private health care. And this public system is already so overloaded. Why would I, I, I just feel like it's, it's my duty as someone who has the privilege and the choice to at least opt for, like opt for something so I can leave room for someone who doesn't have that choice. And I'm also not going to make a spectacle and be like, guys, oh my God, you have to come live here because like you can go to the hospital whenever you want. Like, thank God it's not like the United States where you could literally, as we have a friend who is like, you know, got screwed over by an insurance company, knows 20 grand, even though like for something that was, yeah, I mean, it, the US system is totally fucked. We know that. But like, it doesn't mean you can kind of come and just have like a field day with what's happening here. I don't know. It like, and then so on TikTok, everyone's just like, oh my God. And they're just chasing that, like you said. And it, I don't know. It just, you can, me I off. don't think you can, or it's fair to use another country public healthcare system to prove your point that the American system is broken. We already know that. And that's the T. And that's the T. Well, also because, I, I don't know. I mean, and I'll ask you, be kind in your response or not. Maybe we can just get into a real fight. No, but I mean, I, I don't, can, it's like, I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. But I think of all these new people arrive. Like, I mean, I'm here for the long haul. You know, like I'm monitorista. I pay my taxes. I have, you know, I, I, I live my life here. I lived and for up until very recently earned exclusively in pesos. And like, you know, doesn't mean I wasn't able to live a nice life here. And I'm not pretending that my, you know, I know that, but these people who come and like don't even, it's almost like they don't even care that they're in Argentina. That's, I think, my problem. It's like, what do you even like about Buenos Aires beyond the fact that it's cheap and like, you know, you can smoke inside at some places or I don't know. Because I feel like, you know, this coming in and sort of just showing up and acting like you're the first person to discover it and then just blast it all over the internet as like a, hey, join me because it's like, you know, yeah, you can just work from anywhere and the airport, the rents are so cheap. Like they think that like, you know, a $1,500 a month Airbnb, Airbnb is like a deal. And it's like, yeah, because you're coming from a place where it's maybe would be five grand, but like, what the fuck? I don't know. It just, it hurts me because I, I know that it's, it's also, it impacts me, but it impacts obviously so many other people who are in such a more precarious and vulnerable situation. I wish that we could like, um, manipulate the algorithm. So instead of, uh, TikTok showing, uh, these foreigners uh, enjoying the cheap Argentina, they will be shown the many, many TikToks of people struggling to find rent that are local here. I've seen so many. I mean, well, because how many friends, I mean, all of us, we were just talking about this before of like, what's going to happen when our contracts are up and like, you know, it's the elections are coming up and everything. It's very, this sort of uncertain, like, que va pasar vibe. And I mean, we're all worried. It's sort of like, and people are like, se están you know, it's like the the owners. And I mean, and do you, how much do you know about the, like the ley de alquileres and how that's changing? Because that's also impacting this as well, right? Like, I mean, because for up to a point, I mean, the currency here is the peso. And up until, you know, recently, it was illegal to have any listing shown in dollars. But now, every, I mean, it's like cada vez más, like every time you go online, everything is just dollarized. Well, I think it's a consequence of the economic reality of the country. How do you expect to do a three-year contract with 150% inflation? Because um, rent is a contract between the owner and the locatario, I don't know, the renter. Yeah, the tenant. Um, so in a contract, both parts agree and some, they, they must get a benefit of it. I'm not defending uh, homeowners, but you need to realize that they're not going to they're they're not going to rent on a loss. Yeah, they're not going to give away. I mean, yeah, we're living in a capitalist society. Fuck landlords, but yes. 
So that's a reality. So they are uh, one of the first things that you learn in uh, during the career of studying economics is that human beings uh, works on incentives, and they are they are working on their incentives, and we are. But it's also like an, an unequal contract because they say, okay, I'm going to charge you this or you're harmless. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're always going to be in the losing position as, a, as an inquilino. I mean, it's like... It's... How, being a policymaker, how do you regulate that? Because we have some examples to share about. I don't have an answer because I forgot my notes. <laughs> <laughs> my dog ate my homework. I mean, I don't know. That's it's it's a it's a great question because when you think about again, right? Like you, we can't ignore the fact that Argentina has over 100% inflation, and we know that anything that's in pesos today, even tomorrow, is going to lose its value. So I get that, right? But it's also like this feeling of because it's already an unequal dynamic. How do you protect the people? Because we have to. I mean, you know, we have to live somewhere to survive, and then so it's it, it's like okay, do you just make a especially in an economy that, I mean, we aren't officially dollarized. So that's, it's all, it's just this gray area of like, we're all acting like it's normal to be using the dollar as a reference because that's the only way we have to sort of like keep context. But the average salary here is $200 a month. I mean, come on. So it's like if the average person is making $200 a month, but rents are like $1,000. I mean, it's like, it seems like, oi, oi, you can't find anything for like less than $1,000, which is just demente. So how do you like what, what? How do you solve this problem? Well, the first city that comes to my mind, and I think it's the great European example of gentrification, is Lisbon. I mean, do you just limit like what apartments can be, like how many places can, like you can't, you let people, you let people, sorry, you prohibit people from putting stuff on Airbnb, or how 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 do they do that? Um, so basically, in Lisbon, they are limiting. In most of the cities that I try to look for, what they did is they they basically are limiting the amount of days that you can rent your place for short term rentals. Right. So I think uh, New York is doing something similar too now. They are uh, beginning from September fifth. They they are banning. You need to get a, a register to um, to rent your apartment. And New York, you need you cannot rent your whole place for like. Like you could rent a room, let's you, say, but you, you have you, to you, be on the property. You can't just like, because it's also like, we, how many people do we know or mean or know of who like are buying up properties and just just for the purpose of using them as an Airbnb? It's not even like this is my apartment. I'm going to be gone for a month. But um, I also re read that there is like a saturation of that, and people are starting to lose money because they think, oh, oh my god, my apartment is going to pay by themselves, and they're not. Well, because exactly, and they're putting all this. I mean. I, yeah, it's there, there. There's a point where there's only so many people that I mean, there's it's like it does reach a peak, right? I mean, there's a fever pitch there, and then it's just sort of like you can't. It doesn't expand infinitely. So how do you? Because there is all always, and this is like a Twitter debate that um, more regulation or more free market. Let's take New York example. Uh, it's the capital of the free world, you would say. The capitalist. Well, my hometown, Washington D.C., is actually the capital of the free world. But we'll say New York City is the unofficial and cultural capital of Fine. the capitalist world. Yes. Would you say, and they, also known as the Big Apple. And they are making regulations Soviet style because the circumstances they needed to. Well, it comes to a point where it becomes unsustainable. So it's not like 
it's not black or white, but it's like what people need. I think it is. And I mean, look, Barcelona, I thought was a, there was a lot of uh, pushback in Barcelona a couple in the past couple of years, you know, of like you know, very hostile, like tourists, tourists go, go home. home. And, you know, because again, you're pushing us out and you're and then what happens? It's like you get bored and you move on to the next place. And I, I actually know a lot of people who have left Buenos Aires for Lisbon. Um, maybe they're European, so they want to be closer to family. There's these tax incentives too. So speaking of economy and policy, like Portugal is giving people a, a flat 20% tax rate for like 20, 10 years? Not anymore. The golden visa. It's, it's It's been revoked. Well, thank fucking God, because it's like, you know, I don't know. The idea of sort of chasing a place that's going to let you hold on to as much money as possible, I understand. Like, no, I mean, no, we don't want to give up our hard-earned money, and I'm, that's a whole other discussion. But this feeling of like you're just kind of wanting to go into a place that's convenient only to you and not thinking about how that impacts the local landscape and population is really sad. Because I, you know, I know people who have moved there and bought properties just for Airbnb purposes. And it's kind of like, okay, cool. But like, you're already doing really well. And I know that like, you know, you can't put a limit on how much money you can make. Again, we live in a free market capitalist society, but doesn't it kind of like, I don't know. I'm not in that position where I can like be buying an apartment just to renovate it and make it an Airbnb. If you give me enough cafecitos, maybe I will. So it's cafecito, <laughs> bad info. Thank you. Expropiese. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I, I, I want to believe that if I were in that position, I would at least, I don't know, I feel like I would have feelings about it. I don't know. I can't imagine just sort of doing it and being like, whatever, no big deal. I mean, I don't think you can regulate how many homes that people can buy, but surely you can rent how how many days you're going to rent your out. place. Um, Amsterdam only has 30 days, for example. There are some good examples. Vancouver, for example, they if you're going to rent your place in Airbnb, it, it can have a kitchen. Oh, it's perfect. So it's like... Yeah, you're not going to stay. You can't ranchear oh um also for in lisbon they the government is renting the places and give them it's basically doing public housing renting because they are renting for five years to the owners and then put it into the market oh because they are regulating and if you don't have a license i mean the government will rent your place and it's soviet style i mean imagine the libertarados reaction if Larreta or oh, anyone tried to do this here, but what Larreta is doing is that he's giving incentives to the homeowners to renovate the places to give them, I mean, for long-term rentals. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. I don't know, but I mean, but then I think here, and this is maybe where I know less about like the economic background of it, because I'm thinking we've seen that like what uh, Airbnb, like, properties have increased by like 65% in the past like four years, right? So there's like over 15,000 properties, I think, available in Buenos Aires. And then we know even like in Córdoba, Bariloche, I mean, it's not just happening in Capital Federal. But what about the issue of like dollarized rents also in like for locals? They ask like the demostración de ingresos, the pay slip. It's like you have to have all this fucking money, but you also have to be able to earn in dollars. But then where are you? It's 
I, I don't know. It's like for at least for at least with Airbnb, it's very clear that it's like this is someone like paying through this platform to stay here for a month or two months. But like when you have these contracts now, where it's also to, it's against the law to like have a contract in dollars and dollar billete encima, dollar billete cara grande, por favor. It's like I don't know. It it feels it feels like we're in Buenos Aires at least experiencing this like in a more extreme way because other countries or other cities don't have this like problem of currency and hyper uh, near hyperinflation um i don't know like what do you think is going to happen with that because at least maybe the, let's say the government comes in and regulates airbnb and how often you can there is regulation there is a it was i think it was approved in 2019 you have to um you have to register your place at the registro de propiedades de airbnb mm -hmm. But the the law was approved in 2019, but because of the pandemic, it was never like applied regulum like recommend that like it was never put into effect. But what about what about not Airbnb? Like for okay, full disclosure, my rent is in dollars, and I can do that because I you know sell pictures of my feet on the internet. Um, <laughs> but thinking of I mean, but I have a contrato. I mean, with a in agencia inmobiliaria here. I mean, but it's like that's not that that. That contract like legally is not real, or is it? Right? But because how, how do you enforce the law? And I think this is a good example that um, we need to talk about. Like these places, in, and I'm think I'm talking about you, Europe. Um, they're putting a limit of how many days you can rent your place. But how do you know? And this is where your neighbors came in. I love a neighbor. They they are whistleblowers. They they will rat you out. La vecina chusma sabe todo. But I don't think that's a thing here. And I'm I'm thinking about you, Germany. <laughs> I think, I think that I mean I think it depends on certain uh, buildings because my building has because just this week there was a reunión de consorcio, la asamblea, and it's people who have a lot of time on their hands. And I read those photocopied handwritten notes because I was not invited to participate because I am just an, a renter. But they want to put something in the... It's not a very big building and it's pretty tranqui, you know? Like, I mean, it's not... Um, also the neighborhood, you know? Um, it's not like a trendy neighborhood per se in terms of like Palermo, which is just full of all these like new buildings and a lot of young people and tourists. But there was um, a comment about maybe changing something in the reglamento about temporary, like basically like, yeah, renting out your apartment for Airbnb. Like in my contract, it says I'm not allowed to do that, which was fine because I wasn't going to anyway, duh. But, you know, I haven't seen that happening, like it, anecdotally walking around. But like, I mean, I know, you know, I know my neighbors and I have my encargado and we're all like, chumeando, like, quien es quien y no sé qué. And I think that in big buildings where you have like either no security or maybe just like a totem or, you know, something kind of more impersonal, it might be easier to like fly under the radar. I think it's very kind of like, ojos que no ven, alquiler que no se paga. But also imagine the civil war that will be if the government say, okay, you you can only rent for X amounts of days and then your neighbors need to rat you out. Everything, every, it's going to be a total war. Like it will, like I kind of love it only because here, because everyone is so metidos. Like they, people are like, <laughs> people love it to be like, like literally one day I was having like a terrible personal crisis and I was picking up something at a store that a friend had got like gotten for me. And the woman at the store literally saw me and she was like, perdón, pero ¿se puede saber qué pasó? And I was like, 
like, I'm not going to tell you like why I'm having a horrible day. Like, I just love the people here like, no les importa. Like, they will just chufmear to the end of their lives. And so, yeah, people will love to be like, you know, it's like the notes in the ascensor. They love to like leave notes like to the people on the third floor who don't put their trash out or blah, blah, blah. And then someone like responds over. I mean, it would be full chaos. And also people do not like being told what to do here. But at the same time, they love like people want the rules to be enforced. It's kind of like this contradictory. I don't know. Like I would pay to watch that. <laughs> but also I don't want to be part of it. <laughs> like sc scary. I don't know. I mean, I think that like, you know, we like to. I think what I love about the Argentine identity is we are always faced with these deeply terrifying or tragic or formidable experiences, right? I mean, like, let's be honest, but there's always room for like a little bit of dark humor. You just, you have to find a way to be humorous about it. Otherwise it's like, perdes todo. And so it's kind of like this funny joke, you know, I mean, even now with the whole issue of like, you know, Chacarita, let's talk about neighborhoods, you know, or Chacalejiales, like, you know, these like, remember, do you remember when, like when I first got here, 2007, you know, everyone wanted to live in Palermo. It was Palermo, Palermo, Palermo. And of course, because it's the biggest barrio, there are these like, you know, unofficial subdivisions, you know, Palermo Chico, Palermo Botanico, whatever. And when they started calling Villa Crespo, where we're recording this beautiful podcast, it, Palermo Queens, Palermo Queens, which I was like, what? And then when they started calling the part even further back, Palermo Dead, because it was near the cemetery of Chacarita, like for real estate purposes, because people didn't want to rent a place in Chacarita, but if it was called Palermo Queens. But I think, you know, it, like the joke is, you know, how do you know your neighborhood's going to be gentrified soon? You know, a lot of galgos rescatados. You're seeing a lot of like rescue greyhounds. You're seeing obviously the queers. You're seeing what Café de Especialidad. Panadería de Masa Madre. Hay mucha Masa Madre. I mean, it's kind of like check, check, check. Like they're coming for you and it is not stopping. And then it's going to be... And But then it's like, you know, half of those businesses close anyway. You know, you love the block you moved on to because it has all these charming buildings. And then suddenly they've been bulldozed. And now this big torre that's blocking your sun. So you can't get any light for your monstera, which is a problem. You know, and then it's like the cute little abuelitos you would see on the corner every day with their chairs on the vereda drinking mate are no longer there because they can't afford to live there anymore. So then what are you left with? Annoying neighbors who will rat on you. Because that's what the government is asking us to do. Exactly. Feels kind of bleak. Well, the future is bleak. It is fucking bleak. <laughs> <laughs> like, you look like in your gray turtleneck, you're like, the future is bleak. I mean, it is, though. I mean, in my opinion, we have five or ten good years, and then everything's going to go to hell. So enjoy your life. And people are still now. having children. Like, yeah. really? I mean, <laughs> hedonism, por favor. Ben -ami. I mean, I think, and I, so I did a little, like, I did a little research. I mean, because you're the actual expert economist, but I, I Googled for, like, seven minutes. No, but I think I'm, I'm interested in, like, the profile of the typical digital nomads. I think talking about this, again, in, like, the more current context, we know where there's, there's more to it. Um, but thinking of, like, who, thinking of policymakers and who they're trying to talk to, because I'm very fascinated by the Argentina Tourism Board like Instagram and online and online presence, Let's visit Argentina. They have hired content creators from like all over to come and they're sending them on these trips, not just in Buenos Aires, you know, all over the country and making this beautiful content like, oh my God, Catamarca, Fiamala, Iguazu, San Juan, whatever. You know, come to Argentina. It's so amazing. And they're 
like the lead driver is cost of living. They're saying like, it's so cheap to live here. They're giving incentives and like credits to digital nomads who come to live. Um, but I did a little global research because she's a globalized girl. Um, that apparently, so according as of 2021, there were something like 35 million digital nomads all over the world, right? And the average age is 32. So like full millennial, maybe, you know, childless, maybe in a partnership, but like, you know, not just out of college enough, maybe have enough money to move around, but also still kind of like in the I'm baby phase of life, which is very Marcos, you know, just sort of like, like, I don't know how to... I'm just a baby. I'm just a... I'm just a baby. Like, I can't make my own dentist appointments. Mom, I may be living in Lisbon, but could you call Dr. Thomas for me when I'm home visiting for the holidays? Um, But the average income is like almost $120,000 US, which to me is like a dream. I'm like, I would love to make that much money because here, the again, the average salary is like $2,500 a year. So like you have this huge disparity and the like, I think it's something like it's over, I think it's like 60% of them are white, which is like not a shocker because like white people do not know when to stop. And like, I don't know, like, I just feel like, why are we, have we not learned our lesson from like, this is not going to end well. But the thing is, um, and I need, we need to do a little analysis of the economic situation. Two or three years ago, when the pandemic kind of stopped and the tourists start coming over again, um, when they were paying with their credit cards, they were charged with the official rate, which right. was half of the blue. So they were basically ripping off like everyone yeah. else in this country. Yeah, they were. I with, mean, if, yeah, if you were getting ripped off, if you were participating in the official economy. But then uh, they were coming and changing all the dollars into the blue market and spending all the pesos. And then we have no fucking uh, reserves. reserves in the central bank. So now they changed that. And mm-hmm. now you can get like a better exchanger if you use your credit card. Mm-hmm. So I think we also need their dollars to stabilize the economy well, we, in a way. We, right. We, but we need to do to through credit card, not to the blue market. So I think part of the, and I'm assuming, or that the government wants, or it's, tra- it's hiring these content creators so they can come and spend their dollars and try to pump up the economy. Oh, pump it up. Like we need a pump. But at the same time, you, I mean, you fix this and you break this. That was perfect. (laughs) But I mean, I agree. I I agree completely because I think that there's nothing more that I want or I think all of us want Argentina to do well, right? And to be, to kind of get over all of these problems that we're struggling with. And that's so true is that you have these tourists coming with very deep pockets. But yeah, because they couldn't up until very recently use their credit cards and get the same exchange, which is just so bonkers and also very difficult to explain because you take some random person who doesn't know Argentina and you're like well we have two exchange rates and you have to actually go (laughs) yeah (laughs) 22 you know oh my god like the photo at the the most recent Malva exhibit you know dollar soja dollar gold play dollar blue I mean how many exchange rates do we have to have but like explaining that to like a regular person and they're just like what like all I want to do is like use my credit card and uh so thank god we've you know nos ayornamos un poco I still think it's like an imp- it's imperfect because it, for a while it like wasn't working with every car like blah 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 all these boring things, and I but that's the thing I do we need to be taking their money I mean if you're gonna come here and you're gonna you know 
ex, like exprimir our resources in every sense of the word, which is fine because no one's saying you can't. There's no law that says you can't do that. But like it shouldn't be this unequal relationship where it's like we're left picking up the mess and you get to just like have a cool Instagram photo to tell. Like, I don't know. I, it hurts me just to think like I know that policy can't keep up as like, you know, keep uh, keep the pace with like the way cultural trends are changing. But it's it feels like kind of like a scorched earth vibe where like maybe in two more years they'll find another city to go to. And then it's like, what will what will we be stuck trying to then figure out? We don't, I don't know. And who knows? I mean, maybe can we look to other cities like for an idea of what will happen? Or is the Argentina experience so unique? I mean, so the unique? economy here is so, so regulated. I mean, the exchange rate. So this is an example of you're trying to regulate something and you're breaking it even more. Is it going to be the same with the rent? They tried to do that with Leia de Alquireres, which previously wasn't perfect, but they actually ruin it now. And now they try to, um, so basically before the before 2019, I think it was, 2020, the- What day is it? <laughs> the, the contract for the rent, it was two years, and I don't remember how many, how, how often was oh, the, the, the you could increase the i think it was increase. like twice a year maybe every six months yes but they change it to three years and then there is like a yearly uh increase mm -hmm. with, to cut up with inflation um which in my opinion and i think marcus agree with me it protects the renter rather than the homeowner mm -hmm. but now of course they are doing lobbying try, they're trying to change it so now it passed to the deputy chamber uh, a change of the law where it's going to be two years and it's going to be twice a year the, the the increase and it's going to be agree with within the parts but of course it's an unequal contract in um, in economy we, we call what immobiliarias do rent seeking they're trying to get they're Wow, I'm so glad we have an actual economist here because otherwise it'd just be like Marcos and me like complaining. <laughs> and it's like we actually have someone who's like the term, the proper term for that in my PhD course that I took. Well, but, but and how do we, I mean, and that that's the thing. It's like, you know, again, we, it feels very predatory. And so it's, it is it is hard for me to feel sorry for my propietaria because she has a house in Nordelta where she lives and she has like three other apartments that she rents out. But to be fair, I do live in the house that she used to live in. And then they moved during the pandemic because they're old. They wanted to have like, I hope she's not listening. She doesn't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Sorry, Betty. Um, but like, you know, in the sense of like, vivir de rentas, el sueño de todos. Like who wouldn't love to just be like, I get to pass by every month and cobrar algo. And it's sort of like, you're paying the expenses, you're covering everything else. And like, and I just have cash in hand. It is kind of hard to feel sorry for someone who's in a position where you already own a property. Because like, maybe this is, you know, from my own generational experience, you know, I graduated college in 2008 in the US, like the peak, you know, the subprime mortgage crisis. And so the whole idea of like owning a home, honestly, to me right now feels like a joke. Like it's like, haha, sure, that'll happen one day. Mm -hmm. And it's like, because I feel like I still I feel so far from that. So when I'm struggling to like, find a place that's in a neighborhood that's more or less, you know, decent, that, you know, a, a, like a nice apartment. I mean, we all deserve to live in places that are comfortable and feel good. We don't have to be like struggling forever and living in a caja de sabatos. You know, 
And then you have this person coming in being like, ah, oh, bueno, you know, as the propietarios, it's really hard for us because we just have the, and it's like. But also you, you see the effect on the, on the propietarios as well, because, okay, renting long-term is not prof profitable anymore. And I don't want to do the hassle of doing short-term and Cause it is a giving hassle. the key, the cleaning, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the fixing what, up what of them. I'm, what I'm going to do? I'm going to sell my apartment. But Half of the city of Buenos Aires, or of the apartment, are on sale. And no one sells anything. Not, it is the not prices a... go below. Mm -hmm. Your property is uh, less valuable because of that. And it's... And a spiral. It's a that. spiral. It's a full death spiral. Well, that's and that's a great point because you, there are so many. I mean, I have a friend who um, left Argentina after many years, and she sold the apartment she owned. And let's say you know, it was worth a certain it appraised at a certain number. You know, in the in a perfect world, she could have sold it at this, and she sold it for almost half of that because it was like there was a point where it was like if you keep waiting you're probably you know it's going to keep going down so you might as well do it now and also just be done with it but but who can buy property in cash here well that's the thing for the foreigners here we don't have like the property mortgages. the mortgages market is broken we don't, we don't have Like you have to, if you're going to buy an apartment, you have to come with a flipping suitcase full of cash. So it's also, it's like in dollars. So it's like, where is this money coming from? Like, it feels like it's sim full simulation slash like something shady is happening. But that's the thing. So you have all these incredible apartments like for sale and like the big ones, like I mentioned before, you know, down in Recoleta and Retiro that are like mil millones de metros. But like, if you're going to, if you have, if you have 800 grand, you're going to buy a house in Nordelta so your kids can have a yard in a pool or whatever i mean you know it's also trends have changed like people don't want to live downtown anymore don't go suburban please please well it's, it's, learn something from this america i mean looking at the u.s and i mean thinking of how you know living in dc which is a very small city right and how like the conurbano is huge and also you know it's the dc maryland and virginia areas all within the, the beltway it is so bleak to see i mean i grew up in the suburbs but like the close in suburbs, like literally 10 minutes from Washington um, and very well connected. You know, we have Metro subway, things like that. But when you go out and you see like, you see these housing developments that are like, just like townhouses, not even like separate houses, all copy paste, copy paste, copy paste, all next to each other. They're off a highway. You have to drive to go everywhere. Like I love You know, I love a walkable city. Beaches love walkable cities. I need a walkable city and I need it now. There is nothing I love more than leaving my apartment. I have like five kioscos. Some of them are open 24 hours. I have the Chino. I have the Panaderia. I have the... And it's just like I can go everywhere on foot. I don't need to drive. This dependence on cars and like this sprawl. Ugh. 15 minute cities is not common to some people. It's... A way of living and that's the tea volume two because i don't i, I and, and, and seeing how so in dc like you have i mean again because there's not a lot of real estate in the city and everyone's coming out and also it's so expensive right so i even think like if i wanted to live in the neighborhood where i grew up impossible the little tiny house i grew up in is now like worth five times more um but they're doing these programs of like revitalization of downtown and people want to come back like i think my generation of elder millennials you know, we want that we don't want to i don't want to be in the middle of nowhere and have to have to get in a car to do everything and you want because also it's like it destroys the cultural fabric of a, of a community because you also aren't having like 
mixed income housing and you aren't interacting with your neighbors in, in real ways. I don't you know. You are queuing in your car to get coffee. Why? The people driving to Starbucks drive through on like TikTok, I'm like, is this real? Hey, hey, I, I was in the in the US for the first time last month and it blew my fucking mind that banks have drive through. Oh, I do love a bank drive through though. <gasps> that that I love. I was shocked. That, that that's the one thing when I think of like, you know, what do I do miss about home? There's very few things I miss about <laughs> the United States. The drive through bank because here I can't even use my damn cell phone in the bank because of these fucking motochorros de mierda that are, I don't know, going to be like, I'm going to be texting that someone's going to leaving with a backpack full of cash. Carolina Piparo, who support this message. I, I literally was like, the other day I was thinking like this, I was like, wait, she wasn't like a legislator before, right? Like, you know, and I'm like, no, she was just a random woman. I mean, I know, like, and the fact, like, I, only in Argentina would a... Motochorro victima bank moment combination now puts you on the libertarian stage. Like, what the hell? But the drive through bank I love, drive through Starbucks do not get. Just drive everything. I mean, like, I, when I go home in a couple weeks, I'm quite concerned for my step count and for my rings, my circle, because, like, you can go a million places in a day, but, like, you take five steps and it feels very, like, unnatural. The problem is, though, is that, like, in the place like the US, where cities are not, it is absolutely, it, it's a hostility. There's not even a sidewalk for pedestrians. So you're on literally on the side of a highway. So like, it's one thing to say, I live in a rural area where there isn't like an urban center, but there's another thing to say, these cities are designed to favor cars. And you look at like, I mean, there's so many photos you can find online of like, you know, downtown areas that have like, were once so vibrant and bustling and now it's like just parking garages and it's like bleak and depressing and again like no sidewalks so at least i think buenos aires yes it's is it huge yes is it i mean it's twice the size of manhattan like in terms of land area or something so it's like it is a lot of ground to cover um and there are parts where are like unsafe especially at night especially being a woman like you're like six three and you have scary eyebrows. So like, I think that you have a little more, they're beautiful, but they're, you know, they're intimidating. But it's so- Actually four times. Four the, times? Yeah. yeah. As Manhattan? I, yeah, my, I, I Googled it when I was there and it's, uh, Manhattan has 54, kilo, uh, 54 I kilometer, square kilometers. And Buenos Aires has 200. But you oh. also have to count Brooklyn, Bronx. Oh, right. Well, I think, yeah, Manhattan, yeah, the borough versus, right, all of New York City. But exactly. I mean, it's, it's, BA is huge. But there is, a, in the States, there was a phenomenon called suburban colonization. What happens is um, the white colors, this is, and I think this is before gentrification, the white colors workers were going to the suburbs for, for getting a better quality of life. Mm -hmm. So the voting power went there, but they, they bring their voting power and they l do lobby for the cities. And what, they, what do they want? They want to get to the city center for work quickly. So what you get? Highways. And this is how, like what you just described, the city centers get demolished to, to build highways. And then, and then at the other day, it's like you're just in your car. I mean, it's so, so it, the impact is so real and it's not just immediate it also has this sort of ripple effect where like even 30 years down the line these changes that were made or policies that were put into effect totally transform and can destroy something i mean you know and it's like you're also thinking of who's putting money behind it who's lobbying right like you know who's 
whose best interest is being taken into account here? There is a great book called The Life and Death of American Cities by Jane Jacobs. And it was, she was... Oh, I love Jane Jacobs. She was fighting the construction of highways in New York because the suburban colonization in New York was so big because all of the white-collars workers from New York were living in New York State. And they wanted to get to Manhattan very quick. So they were about to demolish the whole the whole thing to get highways. And they oppose very heartily. And they won. So it, See, it can be done. It can be done. I think that we need to just learn, too, that the community involvement is, like, so important. And that's, and like, um, the... I Like, I, there are two Instagram accounts that I love here that are, I mean that are, I think, very grassroots oriented. You know, there's Basta de Demoler. And then there's what's it called? Like Dibujo para no olvidarme. Oh, I love that. And like, it's sad, right? It's like this person who's, who's drawing and who's an illustrator and they're illustrating these buildings and streets. So when they inevitably are knocked down or changed, it's like we can remember what they used to look like. So it's like, you know, it has this aesthetic component and it's, but it's also sort of like a, a quiet protest because it's sort of like, look at how beautiful this is. Look how much we appreciate this. How can we stop? And then Basta de Moler is like a little more, but they're like chaotic, especially on Twitter. They love to like, they retweet like everything. It's like fills your feet. It's like totally insane. But trying to galvanize neighbors around, you know, saying like, you know, you can do, I mean, some things aren't set in stone. Like there are some construction projects or development projects that are maybe like not following the law. And it's like, if enough people show up to be like, you're not doing this, then, you know, there will, there will be consequences. Um, but like, I mean, well, there's just this one, was it last weekend there in, in Palermo Botanico, there's a big, on La Finur, there is a huge hole. I mean, it's like literally like a huge hole. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, that they're going to build this massive torre and the neighbors in the building right across the street have a big banner that says, you know, no, la torre mega, no sé qué, la finur. I mean, it's like you see all these, if you walk around Chacarita, Palermo. I mean, we talk about how Lareta changed the construction code and there are bad things about it because a lot of things get demolished. But also, how do you create incentives for the owners of this property that are in despair? They are not, people is not living there and the space can be, uh, take it advantage of in a more efficient way if we're talking right. in economic terms. Such but an economist. Also, but also it's a beautiful, it, there are beautiful houses. There are remaining for a pass, a distant pass. Yeah. Um, how do you create the incentive for, the, for them to, let's say, refurbish or repurpose that instead of just knocking down and build some towers. But one of the good things about the new construction code is you cannot build more uh, torres de perimetro libre, which means you have the tower back from the municipal line mm -hmm. and you have like rejas right? and you have too many eneras on the top. So it breaks the tejido urbano mm -hmm. because you have a 30 floor tower, a mm -hmm. residential one, you cannot build that anymore, ex uh, except you have some Unless you're best friends with La Reta. Exactly. But you need to pay for that. And how can you do that? And uh, okay, you can build a little bit more than it's allowed, but you can, you need to create public space for it. So right. there is a concept in urban economies where uh, the city needs to get the, um, what's the name? You need to edit this out. Uh, La plusvalía urbana, where the, um, let's say, let's say San Telmo, 
they re they refurbish everything, but now what it's gonna get constructed in it and like the 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 delta the the extra money that everything is gonna be earning taxes and everything mm -hmm. it needs to come back to the city so it can be re you need to put it back in yeah so how do you do that and speaking about basta de demoler um i kind of agree with mm, what they're saying but also in San Demo, they were really really against the refurbishing of the area because mm -hmm. It's an historic center or whatever, but it was horrible. I lived there for 13 years and now it's, I mean, it's not how it was in the 1900, but right. it's better than it was before. So you cannot, uh, you cannot stop the, la, la transformación no para, but you, you you need to do some things because otherwise- Right, you can't just let things- It's I gonna mean, be neglected. You, know, you can't just let things fall into disrepair where it's also where it's dangerous or, where, I mean, there's a million reasons to, intervene in a way but then it's sort of like it's just with everything it can't be another extreme of okay well it's you know carta blanca to just demolish anything and put up these terrible ugly, ugly towers that you know in 10 years are going to be dated i mean it, it's like i think that there just it needs to be there has to be a way where we can find a solution that is allowing for sort of measured change and investment and refurbishment and uh all those good things with, by trying to with also like mitigating or minimizing a little bit of the damage which i know it's like you can't you there is no perfect solution i mean uh san telmo is now cleaner uh it's more illuminated at night um it's more walkable uh but also gentrification is underway so how do you manage these effects also in In my block, not not in my street, but around the block, there were there was one street that has like five houses that were tomadas, mm. and in the last two years, er, mostly everything they were uh, they were desalojados. Okay. So what are they gonna do with that place? Are we gonna? Mm. Are you creating public housing for this? I don't think so. Well, that's that, that's what's frustrating to me is seeing like how I mean there are more and more people living on the streets or unhoused people in Buenos Aires. And yet we have these mega torres that are like vacías or like apartments that are sitting empty. And I know that it's, you know, and then also you, I know that in some cities, um, like post pandemic, all these office buildings that are sitting empty. Because They're trying to do that here in the city center. The, um, the government has a plan for the city center to become uh, housing for the young people. And mm -hmm. they're trying, they, they are giving incentives to do that. And I think Microcentro is a great place to get, not gentrify, but, but get people to live there because it's actually beautiful. But It's so beautiful. But I also like kind of don't want like people to remember that because I want them to stay far away from me in Chacarita. Because <laughs> I'm like, you will not come for my dos escudos sandwich de amiga. <laughs> bikes um i think they are coming hand with walkable cities well right because it, it expands your radius of where you can go i mean looking at i think what's funny too i mean there's so much more i came by back here so and he looked really good on I it i lead by example and you look very chic and you're like t biking on a turtleneck in a turtleneck but i think you argentines love to maybe porteños it is this You know, mirando siempre hacia afuera, ¿no? So it's like we love to compare, like, in Suiza esto, in Noruega esto, in Alemania esto. But you look at a city like, of course, like Amsterdam, I mean, or in Copenhagen, where, like, instead of having highways for cars, it's like you have all this priority for bikes and for cycling. And I remember when I first got here, there was no bicicenda, there was no ciclovia, nothing. And I am, I'm, like, a very nervous cyclist. Like, I'm not 
a diff- I'm not good on a bike. I know how to ride one, but I'm a little afraid of the colectivo, like driving me over and things like that. And so because I got here before the Bicin existed, I was kind of like, like, like I was a little scared. Um, but it's amazing to see how in the past 10 years, I mean, it's like they're like their own little autopistas in their own right. And people who will bike from San Telmo to Belgrano. But we need to defend this because they want, they wanted to take it out. I mean, the, they, they did this huge project about the ciclovias in Avenida Libertador. And it's great. You have one on it's one amazing. side. And it was perfectly designed. Uh, but again, the car owners are against it. People here are like obsessed with their car. Like, I mean, Americans love their cars. We love our like SUVs, and, like getting our Starbies and like driving around and like filming in our cars while we eat like in and out in the front seat. But here people are like obsessionados. Like they were like people are like. It's an it's a Argentinian character to be obsessionados with everything. Yeah, of course. Just everything. But it's so true. Like the thing with the with like with the bike with the Bicicenda and Libertador because it's like. Thank God. It's this huge avenue. There's like 10 lanes and the new, it looks great and it's safer. And then people, people love to like take a photo of the empty BC Senda and be like, Esta vacía. Y, y a mí me sacaron un carril. And it's kind of like, it's empty right now in this one second that you took the photo. But like, do you see how many people are using this? You are the traffic. Um, coming here, I take the, I took the Cordova Avenue, which has a very, a very good one way, mm-hmm. um, ciclovia and the, it was pick up, pick, pick hour, uh, rush, rush hour. hour, rush hour. Um, and there was a lot of cyclists and it's like, this is a people that is not in the car. It's not in the subway. Um, it's not polluting. So why are you What's against the problem? It? Like, wh- why are you so offended that we want to ride our bikes places? Why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> why are you so obsessed with me? Seriously, they're letting everyone participate. I just, it's like, it's just, it's funny. I know that every generation or like, there's always this resistance to change. And when you grew up and live in a certain way, you but think- Amsterdam wasn't there, Was wasn't like this. It started all in the 70s. They got there from a place where there were not ciclovias in Amsterdam. What happened in the 70s? There were the the all the oil crisis that um, impacted the whole world. It impacted the Netherlands as well, and they were also having. I don't. For everyone who hasn't been in Amsterdam, the the streets are really really small and mm. really really like tight. So imagine that with a bunch of car and traffic it's hell so they were having a lot of um accident killing people and the the people organize and stop and say stop cars and they lobby against it mm. and that's how amsterdam became the cyclist heaven that there is I una vida mejor and it's not in buenos aires but i wish it were and i think it is I mean, still there were, there's Definitely progress, but we need to defend it. I, we have, I think, that like my, one of my lessons this year that I've learned is just, or, or a reminder is that you cannot, you know, descansar. Like you take need it for granted. You can't take it for granted. You have to stand up for what you believe in. You have to come together. And we also we don't we live in community. And I always say we belong to each other. So it's not just me and my mon ambiente or whoever. Like just with my dog hanging out, it's like, you know, what I do affects you and I see, you know, we all impact each other and it's, we have to find more common ground of what we can sort of causes that we can get behind. Um, I don't know. I think like, I want to believe that our passion for and commitment to, you know, protesting things that are not okay um, 
but it, it is it's hard to feel super optimistic i think just because we're in a time where things are feeling quite hopeless like a nivel general you know what i mean it's kind of like just give me like a little glimmer of something to be excited about or hopeful for but like i don't know i mean what do you like I just, I, I don't want Buenos Aires to be like saqueada. You know, it's like, I want the progress to come that we need and that we so deserve to be able to compete with ourselves and sort of with the world and to have more prosperity and more opportunity. And I, I want all of those things. I mean, I'm not like a dinosaur, but I also just like, I don't want it to be, I don't want us to be ransacked. I know. Um, we are talking about gentrification, right? But there is also... We are? Wait, we were. We, we were, I think. <laughs> But there is also another effect that I think it's also worth mentioning. It's called gettification, where it's the opposite. Mm. The, um, and I, th the example that I got in university are there were, were mostly uh, black people neighborhoods, um, where they they are so excluded they can only live uh, with, with with themselves, and mm -hmm. they are. Um, taken away from the opportunities. Uh, there is no public investment in good school, wherever. So the the opportunities everything gets concentrated away from them so it's, it's it became a ghetto right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we have an, a similar effect here in Buenos Aires when and we need to talk about the bichas yeah and one positive thing that that I can I can say about Larreta and it's not because they he wanted to do he wa he was against it and it was forced by law but it's la urbanización de las villas and there are quite good examples about it uh, you have uh, la villa 31 yeah it's incredible uh, what they've done rodrigo bueno that is uh, oh, behind, uh, behind the, puerto like, madero mm -hmm. they created some great housing um, right next to the original settlement they they didn't demolish everything mm -hmm. but they created some uh, livable conditions for right. the people there and they also like i don't know shops started to open banks started to open the, that, that's integration and then you see on twitter like um they they put oh, oh my god a pharmacity open in the beach i was like that's your progress it's like there's people that is getting paid in blanco working from there that it's probably coming from the neighborhood mm -hmm. that's how you start to integrate you things. have to start somewhere right and like and thinking and even and i thought it was a very big gesture of putting the is the city education ministry's offices in the visha sort of like put your money where your mouth is right in sense of like if you want you want to talk about it you have to get people going there and I agree. I mean, you can complain. I mean, there are plenty of other things to criticize and then, to talk about. But that is like you can't deny that this that that salto has been like they've there has been notable and important change. But the thing is, like, um, okay, let's say working class or perhaps foreigners um, came and they occupy a line that wasn't there and now they're, they're getting like housing and I'm just I'm not saying that it's right or wrong I'm just saying that La Reta voters uh, voters potents mm -hmm. are against this what oh, La yeah. Reta is doing and it's actually a good thing and get, he gets slammed in election because he was doing the right thing mm -hmm. because he was forced to do so right but, not because he wanted to so it's like you have these effects of good things that are happening but it's against their voting like sector base. or mm -hmm. her support size all that progress is gonna i mean it, it seems like these little Liter things literally the person that was in charge of the organization de la fichas just resigned last week <sighs> after the election so 
Uh, it's hard. It's hard to. F- it is. It just goes back to it's hard to feel hopeful only because we know how hard it is to get these things done, especially in a place like Argentina where there's so much economic hardship. So, like, imagine if in a developed country with all these resources, it's a struggle. Here, you have a whole other set of problems and. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I was thinking like, you know, where did I really want this sort of episode to go in this conversation? And I'm thinking like, oh. and now I'm just like kind of sad. But I think that the most important thing at the end of the day is to talk about it and to be informed. And like, there is so much out there to read and to learn and to get involved and to think, okay, well, how, do, even if you start with like, how does this impact me? Um, which is like, obviously sort of a nice navel gazing starting point. But if, if, if that's what it takes to get you sort of just thinking about it and being like, okay, well, if this happens, I won't be able to pay rent for my apartment because my entire building is going to be an Airbnb. We have a friend who his entire building was evicted because they were like, everyone's turning these units into Airbnbs. Um, and so if you, at least, even if you start there and that sort of Tepica, right. And it's like, you start to read and you start to just talk to other people and you investigate and explore. I do think that no matter what, like good things will come from that in the sense of, you know, even if we all have different opinions or points of view. Um, But I just, I do hope that in this tumultuous sort of transformational moment that Argentina finds itself in, as it always does, that the, the most vulnerable won't once again sort of fall victim to whoever has the biggest wallet or the deepest pockets and that whoever is in power at the city level and of course uh, federally as well will maintain some sense of social conscience because you know money talks and people listen especially when you're in a massive crisis like we are but it's just there's another cost there the social cost and the cultural cost that cannot be ignored and like you we've been saying is you know there's not this perfect balance it's not black and white um but and I just we, and I don't we're know. not talking about like people that we don't know or everyone knows someone that is struggling to get uh, a place to rent. Everyone, everyone, everyone. So, and we all see it. Like you said, it's it's so it's not it's not this sort of, oh, a friend of a friend of a friend's cousin, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's all of us. And it's coming closer again. I think that maybe 10 years ago, this felt like kind of a very far off thing. And then like even I mean, sort of peak pandemic, like 2021, when all the Americans were going to Mexico City. And I was like, well. Buenos Aires is like far enough away that they're going to like, like I was like, they're not going to come. And now, but now Guess what, Mimi? <laughs> they're like, we're here. And it's just sort of like, fuck, you know, like I, I hope, I don't know. And I do kind of love when people comment on like TikTok videos. It's like, you should go to this really beautiful place. La Villa Uno, Uno de Catorce. Like you should go to La Boca at night. It's so picturesque, you know, because it is sort of like this protection. We want to sort of defend, defend our we want to gatekeep ourselves, you know, like I do want to gatekeep a little bit because it's in the sense of protecting the essence and the people that make the city what it is. But I know that can sound naive. So I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, just like down with whitey, fuck neo-imperialism, right? <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, I guess it's like maybe they bring, you know, they bring a dollar or two, but. It is, but. We love Buenos Aires and we need to defend it. We do need to defend it. I mean, I feel like I want to just like, like rip off my shirt and be like, Buenos Aires o muerte. And then like tie myself to the obelisco, like Joan of Arc style. Oh, maybe we need to armar un partido político y ganar las elecciones. <laughs> 
Touche. Vote for us. I see us. I mean, I would vote for you. You look professional as hell. I'm like the wild card that's like, her? Did she get a cupo? Is there like a cupo here? No resisto un archivo, mi amor, me parece. Well, see, you got to start paying out people. Let's get, let's activemos esa coima. (laughs) Well, you know, oh, dropped a phone. Well, hope that... Hope no one finds the photos on that one. <gasps> Gasp. Um, Facundo, it has been such a pleasure having you. I definitely feel smarter after talking to you. Um, I feel like we should put together like a reading list because I do believe that beyond the memes and the jokes, we all need to be smarter citizens. So um, thank you for just making me feel, I don't know, informed and maybe still scared, but at least I have information. No problem. Thank you for having me. No problem. He's going to get on the bike. He's going to bike around the city. Oh, yeah, I know. I was getting there. I was talking about the bike. Ugh. Well, okay, this has been yet another fabulous episode of Bad Information. Um, Please make sure you are following us on Instagram, on Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, on YouTube. Um, You can also support us because we can't pay for rent because everything is in dollars by sending us some little cafecitos. So please find us there. And if you like the podcast, we do appreciate all of your support. Um, Like, comment, subscribe, subscribe. I have not been drinking. Actually, I did have a glass of wine. But um, do all of those things. Please interact, engage, share it with your friends, not your digital nomad friends. I don't if you have friends living in the United States who want to come to Argentina I hope that if they listen to this episode, the takeaway is you're not wanted here. (laughs) But cool. It was really nice to meet you. Um, Would you like to promote anything, Facundo? Um, Vote. Vote. Thank you. Such a powerful and timeless message and not at all ironic for real. Please vote. Please use your conscience wisely and be a smart person and be a good citizen. Um, on that note, I'm going to go get a cafecito de especialidad and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to go find my galgo rescatado and I'm going to go cry in my little mono ambiente. How do you feel about that? Let's cry together. Oh, okay. See you later. Bye. This episode of Bad Information was recorded at Estudios Nievi in the charmingly chaotic neighborhood of Villa Crespo in Buenos Aires, Argentina.